Okay. <clears throat> Hello, everyone, and welcome to the protagonist. <laughs> That word, that word, every time. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the... Oh, I'm panicked now. I've really? Become... Yeah. Are we back to this? It's because you said new listeners. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm, I'm having heart palpitations. <laughs> oh, my God. We're get it together. Okay. Whew. Come on, Dorowski. That was a great pep talk, Todd. <laughs> that was A+. plus. <laughs> Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Protagonist Podcast, where each week we talk about a great character in a great story. I'm Joseph Drowski. I'm sorry. I was looking at something. <laughs> Get it together, Mac. Get it together, Mac. Uh... <clears throat> All right, here we go again. And welcome to the Protagonist Podcast, where each week we talk about a great character in a great story, except when we don't, such as this week. I'm Joseph Jarowski. And I'm Todd Mack. And this week we are doing our famed, now annual, <laughs> Christmas special. The first time around it's not annual, so now it's an annual event. Uh, we're going to do a special Christmas podcast. Uh, but before we get into exactly what's going to happen, Todd, you had a pitch for our listeners. Well, we just have a lot of new listeners, and we want to welcome you aboard and let you know that if you would like to support this podcast, you can do so by going to patreon.com slash protagonist and uh, make a donation there, and it really helps us out. So patreon.com slash protagonist. We appreciate all of our patrons, and another way that you can easily help us out is by leaving an iTunes review. That one does not cost you anything, but it helps listeners to be able to find us. The more reviews uh, and star ratings we have on iTunes, uh, the more likely someone is to encounter our podcast when they do search through the iTunes app. Okay, so who is going to be our explainer-in-chief for this? Producer Andrew, would you like to take this? Uh, Yeah, so each year, around Christmas time, we find a list of titles of Christmas films because there is a ponderous number of Christmas films out there in the ether and each one has to have a title. So uh, by, by Christmas film, this uh, could be a film that was released in theaters. It could be made for TV movie. Mm-hmm. It, uh, most direct likely, to video. Most likely by Hallmark. could be direct to video. <laughs> uh, it could be a uh, even an animated classic, just something Christmas themed that was produced as visual entertainment uh that's what we're talking. And our producer, Andrew, finds a title so that Todd and I have no idea what this movie is actually about. Yes. So I I find a list of titles. Uh, I find the actual synopsis of the actual plot that is actually written for this actually produced film. And (laughs) Joe Joe and Todd uh, pitch a false synopsis. Yeah, we make something up. And I don't know how we're going to choose who wins. Is it just which one you would most want to watch? Is I that think, all we're going yeah, to do? I think we just declare a winner. Okay, yeah. Uh, for, for each round, for each title. Which one of us, I guess, describes something that would, someone would want to watch? Mostly this is just to entertain ourselves and hopefully you. Although I will say that I won last year. You did. <laughs> uh, I, I, I don't think it was close. Am I right in thinking that? Uh, I think it was relatively close, but okay. the victory went to Todd because he had the best joke of the night. Todd definitely had the best joke of the night. And if you want to go hear that, listeners, you should go back to episode number 50 of the Protagonist Podcast. That is our first Christmas special. And and actually, um, so my wife listened to that 
episode for the first time ever. And she agrees that's the best joke of the night. But uh, one of the more hallmarky of Joseph's pitches, uh, she said, is that's really good. Like, that sounds like it could be a classic. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. And that would be Joseph's pitch for the custom Mary, which is about a carpenter uh, carving a piece of a nativity. Uh, and it's much better than the actual <laughs> plot of the custom Mary. Uh, but like, I, I really think, Joseph, if, if we you know, put some work into that and get a script going, you could sell that. Yeah, I just would need, you know, an agent or a contact. <laughs> and another title. <laughs> yes, because the custom Mary was taken by a weird sci-fi movie about someone trying to clone Jesus and looking for a woman who would provide oh, the wound right. for yes. Jesus. It, it's set in, like, the uh, the streets of L.A. <laughs> wow. And um, then, where, where cloning of uh, Christian figures is apparently common. Uh, All right, but this year we have a whole new batch of titles, yes. and some of these titles are just fantastic by themselves. They don't need a plot summary to say that is a winner. And some of these titles are from films produced for Hallmark this year. Uh, these are new this year films. All right. So uh, traditionally we uh, will just alternate which one of us reads the plot summary first. Uh, and then I will read the, the actual one last. Okay. Uh, point of order. Yeah. Uh, I would like to, first of all, direct our listeners to... Two weeks ago, our show from two weeks ago on White Christmas, in which we created a uh, some backstory to that amazing story. Or side story, I guess. <laughs> side story. And uh, it was mentioned on that episode that we would get extra credit for, <laughs> for mentioning Snowflake the Horse. I, um, I believe I offered a dollar to... Either of you, should you manage to get Snowflake the Horse into every pitch? Okay. Oh, well, I, I, well, I, I, but, I completely forgot about that. But if you get okay. Snowflake the Horse into any pitch, I will be very pleased. Okay. Uh, if you have not listened, listeners, to our episode on White Christmas, it may help you before you listen to some of my pitches. I'll just throw that out there. We're to decide who's going to go first. Andrew's going to flip his iPhone. Todd, do you want what? cover side up or face side up? It's onto carpet. It's okay. Um, face side up. Okay. If it was face side up, Todd, will you uh, receive or, or defer? <laughs> do you want to go first <laughs> or second on our summaries? Um, let's see. There's eight. So whoever starts will. The other one's all... going to. The other one's going to. Be uh, never do math on the air, guys. Never. <laughs> uh, <laughs> if you start, you will not be reading the first one of the last summary. You'll be the, the closer. Of the I will. Affair. I will start. No way. Okay. All right, uh, producer so, Andrew. What is our first the, title? The first title it was the first one. I was sure uh, when looking through random Christmas titles was going to be on the list this year. It is uh, the sequel. To Nativity. It is Nativity 2, Danger in the Manger. Okay. So Nativity 2, Danger in the Manger is, of course, the sequel to Nativity 1, Fury Road to Bethlehem. An alternative Christmas story that takes place in a dystopian future alternative universe in which Roman soldiers drive hot rod dune buggies and Joseph and Mary find themselves in a hair-raising high-speed chase on their way to Bethlehem. The story takes up where that one left off with Joseph and Mary arriving to knock on the door of the inn. 
Not only is there no room, but the innkeeper tries to kill Joseph. And so it is that Joseph and Mary run to the stable, trade their burrow for a horse named Snowflake, and race away from Bethlehem, trying to find a quiet place where Mary can have her baby. More high-paced mayhem ensues as the innkeeper and Roman soldiers follow in hot pursuit on their speedy hot rod dune buggies. Thankfully, this time around, Joseph and Mary have the help of some hard-nosed shepherds uh, on their way. And wait until you see the final battle in which the wise men ride in from the east on lowrider motorcycles and help Mary, Joseph, and the shepherds in their final last-ditch effort to save the newborn baby Jesus. <laughs> good, work, good work, Todd. Is, is, that is a good summary for Nativity 2. Danger, danger, I feel like I'm going to be struck by lightning for writing that. But now, now I feel like that that feels like it was more of a summary of what should have been uh, Fury Road to Bethlehem. <laughs> but, but no, he picked up. He picked it up after the first. Yeah, it's a, it's a two-parter. Yeah. Okay. It was All designed right. as a two-parter. All right. So my summary for Nativity Two: Danger in the Manger. In the much-anticipated sequel to Nativity: Word to the Shepherd, Danny Demon <laughs> is back to his old tricks, and Annie Angel is ready to stop him. Always trying to cause trouble, even on the night of Jesus' birth, Danny Demon sets up Rube Goldbergian schemes to try and disrupt the evening. He sets up a slingshot uh, that shoots a small rock that will hit a bigger rock that will roll into a much larger rock that will roll towards the fields and send a sheep stampede through the stable. But Annie Angel digs a furrow to misdirect the rolling stone back to where Danny Demon is hiding, of of course, smushing him flat. Other hijinks (laughs) ensue all through the evening. And though Danny and Annie never speak, so this is kind of a... um, a Tom and Jerry or a Roadrunner Coyote. This is animated. I should have said that up front. But animated, think Tom and Jerry uh, style. Though they never speak, Bill Hader and Anna Kendrick are back to lend their voices to every grunt, sigh, and squawk of everyone's favorite warring, Demon and Angel. Wow. Oh. You, you, you guys got better since last year. <laughs> <laughs> or you front-loaded. Uh, so one new twist this year. Uh, we're not always going to have this. So some of mine don't. But Todd mentioned that we should probably try casting. And that's why um, Bill Hader and Anna Kendrick appeared in our voice, in my voiceless cartoon pitch. <laughs> I know I recommended that. And then I didn't, pit, I didn't uh, cast any of these. So I'll have to. <laughs> okay. Well, we, we can cast them uh, afterwards to help fill time because we found when we do these pitches, we enjoy making the pitches, but we don't always fill an entire hour of podcast. So we needed if we could t- take a break and try okay. some some fan casting. All uh, right, Andrew, what's the real plot of Nativity Two? As, as retrieved and slightly uh, amended from Wikipedia, Nativity Two: Danger in the Major. Donald Peterson is an anxious teacher who has just moved to a new house with his pregnant wife, Sarah. He accepts a teaching job at St. Bernadette's Primary School, where the enthusiastic and childlike teaching assistant, Mr. Poppy, has been teaching the class unaided. The class wants to enter in a... By the way, that's unaided as of the end of Nativity 1. (laughs) Okay. Uh, The class wants to enter in a competition called A Song for Christmas in which each school produces a Christmas song with the winning song earning its school 10,000 pounds. This is set in England. <laughs> and the chance at being a Christmas number one. However, head teacher Mrs. Bevan refuses the class permission to enter without a qualified teacher and worries that Mr. Poppy's behavior is so inappropriate that no teacher will stay in the job. Donald lives in the shadow of his domineering father and his estranged golden boy identical twin brother, Roderick, who is a world-famous composer and conductor. When Mr. Poppy decides St. Bernadette's should enter the National Song for Christmas competition, he persuades Donald to sign the entry forms, later kidnapping him for an impromptu road trip to (laughs) Gastel Laden, 
or Mary Castle, not a real place, in Wales, where the competition is being held. However, Roderick is also competing in the competition, mentoring the choir of posh St. Cuthbert's College. Mr. Peterson and his class, accompanied by a baby and a stray donkey, become lost in the wilds of Wales and must survive many challenges if they are to reach Mary Castle safely and win the competition. Do you want to know who is in the starring role as not only Donald Peterson, but also his brother Roderick? Yes, please. David Tennant. What? What? <laughs> the doctor. Oh the my doctor. God. You want to know who is the star in Nativity One? Yes. Martin Freeman. What? Wow. <laughs> so, he, so, oh no, no. David, uh, yes. Yeah, yeah. David okay. Tennant is filling in the role left vacated by Martin Freeman. And in Nativity Three, dude, Matt where's Smith. my donkey? No, uh, Catherine Tate, who's Donna from yes, the sequence of, of Doctor Tate. Who. This is I, a good cast. My goodness. <laughs> the series. Wow. Wow. Wait, so listeners, in case you missed it, Nativity 3 is called Dude, Where's My Donkey? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we, don't, don't tell us the plot. That could appear next year. <laughs> oh, man. David Tennant. I watched the trailer for this. He's really in it. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Okay. So, uh, amongst our three. Uh, all right. So, quick uh, recap, listeners. Todd Pitch, uh, basically uh, Mad Max version for Nativity 2, Danger in the Manger. I pitched a... Tom and Jerry or Roadrunner Coyote uh, animated short. And the real thing, I don't even know what Andrew just read. <laughs> I don't either. I didn't a, understand a, a, a word of it. A song competition and kidnapping? And David Tennant is playing his own twin brother. <sighs> so what wins this round? The real thing or I'm one of our made-up synopses? I, it's, it's, it's Todd's. Oh, the secret uh, right. to, to Fury, Fury Road to Bethlehem. Listeners, if you would like to read <laughs> it, it, it seems a, perhaps a bit uh, uh, apocryphal <laughs> at best, but it's it's the best one. But but listeners, if you would like to register your indignation with that choice, you can do so at facebook.com slash protagonist podcast. <laughs> you can let them know that you much prefer the uh, Looney Tunes style version <laughs> of Nativity 2. And if you would like to produce either of those, <laughs> just get in touch with us through protagonistpodcast.com. All right. Uh, so what is our second title? Mistletoe Promise. Okay. This is the one that I uh, I went Hallmark. Good. This one's a, an actual Hallmark. Uh, I, I watched this one on the Hallmark Oh, you've channel. watched this one. All right. Uh, so, yeah, I was, I was trying to borrow their formula. Douglas Arbel is a lonely widower who hasn't celebrated the holidays much since his wife died. In early December, his divorced daughter, Sarah, moves back home with her eight-year-old daughter, Noelle. Neither Douglas nor Sarah are in very celebratory moods for the holidays or for life in general, so there are no decorations marking the Christmas season in the house. One day after school, Noelle tapes a construction paper sprig of mistletoe to the top of a door jam. When Douglas notices this, he points it out to Sarah, and they realize they're being Grinches at one of the most special times of the year. They promise each other that they're going to make it up to Noelle and surprise her with the best Christmas Eve ever. As Douglas goes shopping for a Christmas tree, a woman named Nancy helps him pick out the best tree in the lot. He runs into her again at the store while buying decorations and explains that he's trying to get into the holiday spirit again because his granddaughter is now living with him. Nancy says she always wanted kids so that she could then have grandkids, but she never got married. 
She's buying a tree for a local charity that helps at-risk youth. So she's a good person, everyone. Douglas explains that his daughter <laughs> is going to take Noel out ice skating Christmas Eve morning, and he's going to secretly de- decorate the house as a surprise. And Nancy says that's too much for one person to do and offers to help. Christmas Eve morning, Sarah takes Noel out ice skating, and Nancy comes over to help Douglas set up the Christmas tree. Nancy has brought over loads of other Christmas decorations to help make it extra festive. When Sarah gets to the ice rink, it's closed, much to Noel's dismay. As they're about to leave, the owner, a handsome man named Chris, comes out to explain that they always cr- close on Christmas Eve because there are just no customers. But he sees Noel dejectedly turn to walk back to the car, and he says he's going to open up the rink just for them. They don't even have to pay. But because Sarah actually doesn't know how to ice skate. Chris has to help them both learn. And he frequently catches the very clumsy Sarah. She invites him back to her home for a hot chocolate. And there on Christmas Eve, Noel is delighted to see a fully decorated house. And Douglas, Nancy, Sarah, Chris, and Noel all sing Christmas carols as Chris slyly puts his arm around Sarah. And Nancy leans up against Douglas. Uh, I cast this one. Okay. Uh, Douglas, so the, the grandfather, is played by Alan Thicke. I think he's appeared in some hallmarks. Uh, Sarah is played by Candace Cameron Burr. I think is her name. She's mm-hmm. the one from Full House. I think she's in one every year, yeah. basically. Yeah, I, I, yeah. Uh, she 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 is a frequent. Uh, she is a featured star yeah. in some hallmarks. Uh, sticking with the old Full House cast, Sarah uh, is played by Lori Lachlan. I think she appears in Hallmark occasionally yeah. as well. And uh, Chris, the ice cream owner, is played by Mario Lopez. A little saved by the bell. Oh, all right. Way to go. Um, now, I assume that was Douglas, as in Douglas Fir. Yeah, Douglas Arbel is, uh, is there a, Douglas Fir. Yeah. Yeah. Is there, a, is there a joke in there somewhere while he's shopping? Douglas. Oh, like the fir tree? Uh, there can be, if that will help you okay. to choose my <laughs> Joseph's very good about sneaking in naming conventions that yes. have to do with the holidays. I, all right, can, Todd. I cannot compete with you on names. You you can't compete on plots because you beat me last year. So what is your plot for Mistletoe Promise? Mistletoe Promise. Okay, I did not go in the direction of Hallmark on this. Uh, That's probably for the best because apparently the real one is a Hallmark plot. (laughs) (laughs) So Jose and Maria are the children of rival aristocratic houses in colonial Mexico, but secretly they are in love. On Christmas Eve, they sneak out of their heavily fortified houses and meet up at a Christmas party at a friend's house. Between snuggling and smooching under the mistletoe, they promise each other that they will find a way to get away from their parents and start a simple life together. Everything is magic, but it's too good to be true. Suddenly, Maria's father bursts in on the party with his men and is about to kill Jose when his dad shows up with his men and we have a classic and literal Mexican standoff. Rather than risk... (laughs) Rather than risk certain death, the rival groups each back off. Maria is shipped off to a convent, and Jose is sent to a boarding school in Spain. But Jose and Maria never forget each other, and they spend the next ten years in a sweeping saga. As they search for each other, Jose leaves Spain as soon as he can, but his ship is taken by pirates, and he's forced to join their crew. Maria manages to escape from the convent, dresses as a man to hide her true identity, and is conscripted conscripted into the Navy, where, you guessed it, she finds herself on the open seas fighting pirates. Finally, the love cross swords in an epic sword fight but then they recognize each other and honoring their mistletoe promise they run away together and live happily ever after not so much hallmark as uh what shakespeare pirates of the princess caribbean bride. yeah <laughs> shakespeare, shakespeare princess bride i was like, little, little I was like there's some shakespeare oh there's some princess bride <laughs> yeah. um tell me you wouldn't want to watch that 
That's a really special thing. For a second, I thought you were getting a little too crazy, but you pulled it back in with the Navy thing. I was like, okay, it's all relevant. <laughs> yeah, when the pirates were thrown in, like, why are the pirates here? And then yeah. when she's in the Navy, I was, I was like, like, well, okay, like, actually, yeah. this works out. Mm, that's all right. Uh, what's the real plot from Mistletoe Promise? And, and I, I actually watched this one. Um, I didn't enjoy it as much as I wanted to. <laughs> Would you have enjoyed mine better? I don't know. Or mine more, I, I should I, say. I, I don't know. Um, this 2016 Hallmark Countdown to Christmas movie. This is from the Hallmark website. Just quoting straight up. Yes. Okay. Uh, this 2016 Hallmark Countdown to Christmas movie deals with two unlucky people who both have negative views of Christmas. Elise Donner is the creator, founder, and co-owner of a travel agency known as World Bright Travel Agency. Her co-owner is none other than her ex-husband, Dan, who switched up Christmas presents one year and accidentally gave her a gift meant for his car show model mistress, Drew. Wait, I am confused. Never mind, go on. We'll just... Wait, was this like this year or is this some previous year? A previous year. Okay. I, I watched it. I can clarify. Uh, Then there is Nick Durr, a divorce lawyer who, like a Christmas Carol's Scrooge, has three Christmas ghosts or three Christmases that have defined his life. He is up for partner at his law firm and needs a longtime girlfriend by the end of the week in order to prove that he is a serious family man like all the other partners before him. The two meet at a food court over there. It's so illegal for a law firm to have (laughs) that kind of requirement. (laughs) I'm sure it's not a, an explicit, but an implicit uh, regulation. The two meet at a food court over their mutual hate of those treacherous Christmas carolers and create a mistletoe promise guaranteed to make him partner at his firm and give her an opportunity to get rid of the burden of her ex and his girlfriend. The promise is intended to be solely business, but the spirit of the holidays and the amount of time spent pretending to be in love might just be enough to actually feel something for each other. All right, just listeners, before we start breaking this down, I just want you all to remember the classic staple of the film that has people pretending to be in love, really falling in love. It may come up mm-hmm. in the future. <laughs> also, people who hate Christmas but yeah. end up loving mm-hmm. Christmas. Yeah. Okay, what, what were your questions What about is the it? significance of the gift mix-up? Uh, so, one year when she and her ex were together, okay. he gave yeah. her something with the mistress's name on it. Okay, but the name, okay. And uh, so she's like, oh, you're cheating on me. Right. Okay. Okay. So what's your pick? Uh, pirates <sighs> or uh, straight up Hallmark? I'm going with Joseph's on this one. Yes! Really? Yeah, Todd, yes. really. Don't you dare. Uh, <laughs> it's, you know, I it had the right amount of, of schmalls. <laughs> it was schmaltzy enough. Uh, Todd. When I feel like that yours, was maybe my made... my next best uh, shot at a point, so <laughs> I may not win another point this, this it was, game. It was, it was real good. It could have very easily won a different round, but it, it made me think of back when we did our Halloween special episode and we did our absurd one, and I ended up with a uh, vampire Loch Ness monster going into outer space to fight aliens. Yes. Mm-hmm. That kind of absurdity is what I was thinking of when you were reading your plot, and it just kept going further and further afield. But it... But you did keep it together really well, and I think there's definitely a legitimate plot in there. Like for a, for a rock solid movie that some people would pay money to watch. <laughs> I think a lot. <laughs> that, is, that is not, not the, the best night. endorsement that ever. Not the That's best a movie night. some people might pay for. <laughs> but but I could see it being a cult classic along the lines of Big Trouble in Little China. All right. Uh, what is our next <laughs> title? Uh, Broadcasting Christmas. I can't verify, but in. 
a few months ago, I was looking at a list of films that were planned for the Hallmark release. Uh, and it was, and there was one listed as shooting Christmas, uh, which was later changed. It was listed as a, a tentative title. Cause uh, shooting I, Christmas is problematic. I believe shooting Christmas became broadcasting Christmas. Okay. Uh, but Todd, I can't verify. Todd, that. I think you are up first on this one. Okay. <clears throat> Broadcasting Christmas. Daler Venedark and Liar Lucis are kind of a big deal in the world of elvish documentary film. They were the elves whose investigative journalism uncovered horrendous malpractice and unelvish working conditions in the Keebler factory. They were on the front lines at the Battle of Hornburg when the elves of Lothlorien helped the humans defend Helm's Deep from 10,000 orcs. But they have never tackled any project as big or as important as capturing what all elves on this earth and in Middle-earth refer to as the big show. Yes, this year, don't miss as Venedark and Lucis bring you the inside scoop on Santa's workshop. Of course, there will be plenty of parties for hosting, marshmallows for toasting, and caroling out in the snow. There will be scary ghost stories and tells of the glories of Christmases long, long ago. That is to be expected. But don't miss as these cinematic geniuses go beyond the shiny veneer to get to the gritty underbelly of Christmas. Their interview with Vixen will shed light on what the reindeer are up to the other 364 days of the year. Their segment on elves who have been maimed in workshop accidents will have you questioning everything you ever thought about Santa's workshop. But nothing can prepare you for the bombshells dropped in their exclusive interview with the big man himself. Once Venedark and Lucis are done broadcasting Christmas, the holiday will never be the same. Okay. So, so just based on your inflection, this is an intense expose. Oh, yeah. Santa's workshop isn't what we all think it is. Nope. Hey, hey, is this, like, Michael Moore <laughs> documentary? Uh, it's exactly what I just told you it is. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's as far as we're, we're willing to go right now. <laughs> All right. Uh, my broadcasting Christmas is also documentary style. Really? Well-ish. Documentary-ish. It would be presented uh, in, in its final form. All right. Uh, so think like when I say documentary style, like, um, the office or uh, modern family, that's what I mean by documentary style. Like, like early modern family. No, <laughs> <laughs> don't, don't try to get that. in. <laughs> no. Uh, <clears throat> the Baldwin family has been chosen by a new streaming service called live Use streamer flicks to broadcast their Christmas day as the inaugural program on the new service. If they keep a live stream going in their house from 7am to 7pm, they'll receive $20,000. If they caught <laughs> off the stream, they receive nothing. Of course, things go spectacularly wrong. The five-year-old sneaks down early and opens up his presents before anyone else is awake. Just after the parents discover this, the eight-year-old comes down and throws up all over the unopened presents. And while the dad <laughs> carries the boy to the bathroom and the mom runs for towels, the dog comes in and starts licking it up, all on live stream. Later that day, they discover that their teenage daughter has invited her boyfriend over for Christmas dinner, the boyfriend that her father had ordered her to break up with. And they know the world is watching, so the father has to try and keep a lid on his emotions as he watches his daughter with her loser boyfriend. And of course, just as the dad is fuming about this, smoke begins to pour out of the stove as the, or the oven as their dinner is burning to a crisp. And to top it all off, the dog eats their internet router with 10 minutes to go in their live stream of Christmas Day. Oh. Uh, the father is played by Brian Cranston and the mom is by Patricia, Patricia Heaton. So they don't even get the money? <laughs> nope, they don't get the money. <laughs> it's all. Everything that can go wrong does. Oh, that's... 
That sounds terrible. Uh, yeah. I didn't think that that was the the button joke. The, you, know, you see like the countdown in the corner and the dog starts gnawing and then it just goes to black and that's the end of, of uh, broadcasting Christmas. Oh, I don't know. Seems, seems kind of dark. I, that, that's revealing <laughs> the evil secrets of Santa's workshop and his and mine's a dark one. Um, now, I, I want you to know that the real broadcasting Christmas is uh, not only one of Hallmark's new ones for this year, but possibly their biggest one because it stars both Melissa Joan Hart and Dean Cain, Sabrina wow. the Teenage Witch, and Superman. Mm-hmm. Wow. Usually, usually each of them would only be in one film in the Christmas season, but they're both in. This I'm not one. sure I'm ready to hear the real plot because I'm still concerned about why you guys thought mine was so dark. <laughs> <laughs> an expose of a beloved figure. <laughs> no, no response. Okay, oh, no, oh, let's hear, let's hear no, the real no, thing. No comment. When her on-air partner decides to depart America's favorite morning show, Veronica Daniels announces that she will be choosing her new co-host from a handful of candidates that includes Charlie Fisher, a local New York newscaster who is the son of a broadcasting legend. However. When Emily Morgan, a human interest reporter from the local Connecticut station, makes an impression, an impressioned on-air plea to be considered for the job, the game changes for everyone as video of Emily's declaration goes viral and the network brass decide to put her in the running. Veronica delights in the healthy competitions she, she sees brewing and encourages the candidates to bring their A-game in the segments and stories they do between now and the Christmas Day telethon when she will announce her choice. As the competition narrows and it becomes clear that either Charlie or Emily are going to get the job, they begin to rediscover a spark between them that started long ago. Oh, so they knew each other. Oh, oh wow. Intriguing. Yes. Um, was that read directly from Hallmark? Just yes. to give proper credit. Yes, that's, that's the Hallmark uh, statement on it. Okay. Well, uh, Producer Andrew, are you going to go with uh, the original, the real Hallmark, uh, the... <laughs> The mockumentary style, uh, you know, uh, comedy of errors or the gritty expose of Santa Claus. This is probably the title so far that I least want to watch. (laughs) (laughs) Like all of these, I'm like, "Ah." I'm going to go with the Hallmark original. Really? Wow. I was going to go with Todd. I just, I I can't abide the darkness in either of yours. (laughs) Okay. you were okay with Fury Road to Bethlehem. <laughs> well, it ends all right. <laughs> okay. Okay. So, so far we're at one apiece. One apiece. Uh, I take if the originals the win this. If the originals win this, that will be pretty sad. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the, the next title is Crown for Christmas. Crown for Christmas. It's me, You're right? <clears throat> yep. Okay. Um... <laughs> A crown for Christmas, or, or just crown for Christmas. No uh, article. I, I may have neglected to include the articles. Okay. It's a week until Christmas, and Santa Claus has a toothache. It is Hermie the Elf's time to shine. Yes, the elf who wanted <laughs> to be a dentist. So great. Yes. Way to go. As, as soon as you said that, I was like, oh, <laughs> yeah, he's coming back. Uh, the elf who wanted to be a dentist has never been more needed than at this very moment. But because it's Santa, Hermie wants to get the state-of-the-art porcelain-fused-to-metal crown, so it looks more natural. Yes, I did actual research into different kinds of crowns <laughs> that are used in dentistry. This is uh, this is Rankin-Bass. 
No, this is actually a live action like continuation. Oh. So we're leaving the Rankin Bass animation, though we may circle back to that in one of my future pitches. <laughs> <laughs> in this instance, we're leaving that, and this is going to be live action. Uh, so, but for the porcelain-fused metal crown, he needs a high noble alloy for the metal portion, and they're fresh out of gold, pal- palladium, and platinum at the North Pole. So Hermie, Yukon Cornelius, and the Abominable Snow Monster set out to find some before Christmas. Will, they'll be, will they be able to locate the precious metals, many of which are hoarded by the selfish snare penguin king? Will uh, seeming foes, like the evil elf on the Arctic Island, shelf become allies watch the special to find out Hermie is played by neil patrick harris yukon cornelius by nathan fillion and the abominable snow monster by adam baldwin wow <laughs> adam baldwin <laughs> the, the, the bumble <laughs> yes the bumble oh that's good stuff you got i mean yukon has a real purpose there because He's, he can he, hunt. He can, he can hunt for the, precious metals, yeah, yeah that I are like, needed. This for, is all fitted together. Again, I, I did some. I, I looked into actual crown techniques. Oh, that's nice. All right, Todd, your crown for Christmas. Okay, uh, my crown for Christmas is a full-length uh, anime film. Oh, anime! Okay. We haven't had an anime pitch yet. Yes, not so for here Christmas. We go. Balthazar, Melchor, and Gaspar are the three wise men who travel from the east to give gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh to the newborn Christ child. Many people are familiar with this story. What most people do not know, however, is that while they were on their journey, the wise men stopped for water at a small village built on an oasis. While there, a poor roguish young lady named Kathifa sneaks into their tent and steals Gaspar's crown. Little does Kathifa know, however, that the wise men... Masters of the mystic arts have put a spell on all of their treasure. Whoever steals from them will never die, but must dedicate themselves to doing good on Christmas every year. A heartwarming adventure comedy ensues as Kathifa struggles to balance her natural desire to steal, plunder, cause mayhem, and ultimately become the queen of desert pirates, and her newly developed instinctual mandate to do good every December. (laughs) All right. You're, I, you said you were nervous. I think you're 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 bringing some quality quality <laughs> writing here. Yeah. Okay. The actual hallmark synopsis. Oh, this is another hallmark. Yes, for a crown for Christmas. After getting fired from her job as a maid at a ritzy New York hotel, Allie reluctantly accepts a temp gig as the governess to a young girl who is part of a powerful family in Europe that lives in an actual castle. After arriving, Allie learns the girl is Princess Theodora and her father is Maximilian, the King of Windshire. The king informs Allie that the princess has a tendency to terrorize authority figures, a predilection that has grown worse since her mother's death. Yet, governess and princess wind up hitting it off while at the same time a spark forms between Allie and Max. However, Countess Celia is expecting to wed the king. Will Max take a stand for his feelings for Allie and make it truly a Merry Christmas for all, or at least most? I'm going to guess yes. That would be my suspicion (laughs) as well. (laughs) Go out on a limb. (laughs) But I don't know. Didn't watch this one. It's from a few years ago. All right, so to summarize, we have um, Hermie, the dentist elf, returning to action Mm -hmm. to provide Santa with a crown. We have the... Anime. Anime where a woman steals a crown and is forced or or compelled to do good every Christmas season. Is that correct, Todd? Uh, Yes. Okay. 
Was she? Did she say the queen of the sand pirates? Was that in there? That's yeah, what she, she ultimately become. Well, she becomes the queen of the desert pirates. Uh, but she has to balance that with her her instinctual mandate to do good every year at Christmas time. Mm, okay. And it's anime. Yeah, there's a lot of conflict, internal conflict, right there. Yeah, but it's but it's so like it's uh, it... it's good. It's uh, you know it's warm hearted action comedy. Yeah, I assume it it tracks across a few years. Yeah, yeah, it's very well, uh, it's she's very immortal one piece. Now, so this could literally track across centuries, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, she is now immortal. The immortal queen of the sand pirates. That's not yes. Bad. Yeah, um, and and then we have the hallmark one about a, a kingdom and some count. What is the name? What is the name of that kingdom? Windshire. Windshire. This, yes. Uh, okay. I feel like we're putting more thought into our fake plots. <laughs> <laughs> well, I I told you guys. Remember, <laughs> someone's writing not only the plots but full scripts for these things. Well, okay. I don't know. I didn't check for the scripts. But I believe they're written. <laughs> I'm sure they're, they have scripts. <laughs> they may be ad-libbed. And, and they are, these script writers are making more money for their pitches than we are for ours. Yes. So let's, let's respect yeah. the success that they're having. Someone was paid money for this script for Crown for Christmas. Yeah. All right. Um, so, but what? I'm going to go with uh, The Return of Hermie the Elf. Just I, for the nostalgia factor. I, I thought that might give me a point there. I see. I thought that anime might give me a point, except when you I, mentioned Hermie the Elf. Then I thought, yeah, no, I, like, I think I yeah. lost. I think I lost my anime advantage. I was, I was thinking about. It, I was like, I, well, anime, but I'm gonna tell you how close this was to me being like horrible, horribly off track. Like I was sitting there thinking, Crown for Christmas. What? And obviously, I assumed the real thing had to deal with you know some royalty. I was like, what other kinds of crown? Other crown, crown, crown. And eventually, I thought of tooth, and I started with it like. Like just some person needing a tooth surgery on Christmas Day, and like no, that and, until I landed on Hermes' return, I was I, I didn't feel I'd cracked that yeah, one. Yeah, that one's no, that, that was uh, that was good work. Yeah, it it, it fit together very well. Your research uh, served you well on that one. <laughs> All right, uh, uh, <laughs> there's something else I did a deep dive of research on. We'll get to that later. Uh, so, Todd, uh, your turn to lead off on the case for Christmas. This the was, case I thought this, for Christmas. This title was really open ended. Like how is it a very open title? The case for Christmas. There, okay. I mean, there's many definitions for the word case. Here we go. The case for Christmas. When Abigail Hancock leaves her hometown for Harvard Law School, she has no intention of ever returning. She sees this as her chance to escape a life of poverty as a poor taxi driver's daughter. But when her mother becomes ill and she receives a letter from her father begging her to return for the holidays, she finds herself reluctantly back on a train, headed for Pine Tree, Vermont. The train ride is okay, but there are some cheesy, good-looking but cheesy, actors singing about snow. Don't they know that Vermont is in the middle of a heat wave and a drought? The dispirited Abigail is picked up by her equally dispirited father at the train station, and she heads home. As the days pass, it doesn't look like there will be much Christmas this year. Only Abigail's little brother, Timothy, seems excited about the upcoming holiday. He has been sneaking into the Columbia Inn to watch the rehearsals going on there. And he has been hanging out with the old man at the stable and with Snowflake, the horse. All of this has infused him with Christmas cheer, and he tries day after day to make the case for Christmas to his despondent sister and father. Then a Christmas miracle happens. On Christmas Eve, the train station is suddenly flooded with ex-soldiers headed for some kind of special function at the Columbia Inn. Abigail's father rakes in more money in cab fares in one night than he has in the rest of the year combined, enough for the much-needed medicine his wife needs, and enough for a wonderful (laughs) Christmas celebration. The end. 
Right. Give Matt a sweet Todd. I, <laughs> I think all of us deserve uh, co-author credit <laughs> on that one. Script by Todd Mac. Story by. <laughs> oh, that was good, Todd. Oh. Listeners, uh, for <laughs> I, 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 later to that, you can go listen back to our White Christmas episode a couple I, weeks ago. But I, I could very easily picture the child in the in the late forties saying, "There's a lot of soldiers at the train station for some sort of function." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So there you go. The case for Christmas. All right. Mm. <clears throat> I'm do, guessing that is not what you expected. <laughs> It is not. Um, my case for Christmas, I do need to give a shout out to my sister Kate. This is a breakdown, uh, or, or I borrowed some elements from uh, a faux Hallmark movie we had imagined several years ago. I think I mentioned it last year uh, on our special Christmas episode called uh, Light of the Christmas Tree, I think it was. But I, I'm lifting many elements of that plot for this, the case for Christmas. Homicide detective Catherine Monroe is great at her job, but unluckily in love. The week before Christmas, she is called to a murder scene underneath the giant Christmas tree at Rockefeller Center. By the light of the Christmas tree, she first sees the new medical examiner, Dr. Case Worthy. She finds him attractive. <laughs> oh, 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 That's really bad. Guys, don't. No, it's not. It's great. <clears throat> I'm going to read it again. By the light of the Christmas tree, she sees the new <laughs> medical examiner, Dr. Case Worthy. She finds him attractive, but is put off by his chipper attitude. Dr. Worthy is new to New York. Having grown up in a small town in Michigan, he's put off by the cynicism and rudeness of most New Yorkers, but can't deny that Detective Monroe is pretty, if a bit too serious. After she gives her his initial report of what he sees at the crime scene, they expect to rarely ever encounter each other again. But while performing a more thorough autopsy, Dr. Worthy discovers something that must be brought to the detective's attention immediately. Even though he has absolutely no field training and really only tenuous reasons to accompany her, uh, sorry, <clears throat> ah, sorry, sorry, Andrew, you're gonna is this me. about Vixen? We all get some. Yeah. Even though he has absolutely no field training and really only tenuous reasons to accompany her, Monroe and Worthy team up to try and find a murderer on Christmas Eve and just might find love too. As they work together on this case, they find out their initial attraction may be stronger than their person- personality clashes. All right. I like that Hallmark movie better than the uh, than your Douglas Fir one. I've just, for the record. I think Hallmark would be more likely to make the Douglas Well, I think that would, one. <laughs> that would actually fall under the Hallmark Movies and Mysteries channel. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Like the actual Case for Christmas. Oh, came from... Oh, right. Not, should, not the pure Hallmark channel, the Hallmark Movies and Mysteries. Just real quick, uh, did you all notice that this movie is called Case for Christmas and I have a character named Case <laughs> in my plot summary? Uh, Way to go. Well done. I got it. <laughs> well just, played. I got it. <clears throat> and there was a murder case happening that just wanted to make sure you um, saw that. Uh, repeat casting Dean Cain's in this one, too. <laughs> uh, he was Superman. What has happened to his career? <laughs> Yes, <laughs> one Hallmark film a year. Uh, well, two. Was this? Well, this no, no, no. This is an older one. Oh, this is an older one. Okay, this is one of his previous Hallmark Christmas films. Michael Sherman is a lawyer and single father struggling to obtain more clients. Being a single working dad, Michael doesn't have time to think about a relationship or work on the classic car he inherited from his parents. But his friend Lauren is a mechanic who helps rebuild, rebuild the family heirloom. Meanwhile, the majority of the population is losing faith in Santa Claus and the Christmas spirit. 
To make matters worse, Santa is served with a class action lawsuit for irreparably for irreparable emotional distress by sporting goods mogul Braxton Bennett, who never received the holiday gifts he wanted as a child. Santa believes he has a strong case because Braxton was always on the naughty list and asked for gifts that were unattainable. Santa hires Michael Sherman to represent him. Once the trial of Chris Kringle versus Braxton Bennett begins, will Michael be able to save his own career and Christmas? I have so many more questions than answers after I hear that summary. The case for Christmas. And he ends up marrying the mechanic that's working on the family heirloom, I'm guessing. Probably. I mean, getting together I mean, with her. She she was mentioned. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like she didn't, like she didn't, it didn't come around like I was expecting it to. Well, his, his, uh, his child also wasn't mentioned again. Or children. <laughs> okay. It's not clear. Right. Just so, which, so which of I these three? I re-summarize them real quick for us, Todd. Okay. So we have uh, Joseph's case for Christmas about uh, a guy named Case and a murder no, it's on about, Christmas about Eve. Murder. Yes, a murder. About Not a murder on Christmas Eve. That was just a happy coincidence. Okay. Uh, my case for Christmas about Abigail Hancock and uh, Pine Tree, Vermont. And her father is the taxi driver from White Christmas. Or the original case for Christmas, which is about a lawyer who... Um, Represents at, Santa. Represents Santa class Claus action. against the class. Yes. So, uh, so which of these would you rather see? It's absolutely going to Todd for this <laughs> one. <laughs> for the backgrounds of of White Christmas, I, I feel like both you and I deserve half a point for that. One. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but Tom, once you start to say that, and I, when you said Pine Tree Vermont, you could ask Andrew. I, I like stood, stood up. Stood up. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. Uh, that was good. It, oh, it took man. me a minute to realize that's where you were going. Yeah. All right. Uh, that okay. was good, Todd. Um, now this one, an unusual one, Bernard and the genie. Uh, this was hard for me. <laughs> I I struggled with this one for a while um, to come up with. Like like case for Christmas. Like I said, there's so many paths you could take. You're like, oh, this one I had no idea. Like, I didn't see a path to take. <laughs> like, Case for Christmas, I saw too many. Mm-hmm. All right, but I settled on Bernard and the Genie. This is going to be um, a Rankin-Bass stop-motion animated film. So, Rankin-Bass, the classic Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer style. Animation. Among others. Yeah. After the success of Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, the Rankin-Bass production company made several other classics, including Frosty the Snowman and Santa Claus is Coming to Town. But as the years passed, they became more desperate and soon less memorable fare, such as Rudolph and Frosty's Christmas in July, Nestor, <laughs> the long-eared Christmas donkey, Pinocchio's Christmas, and the Leprechaun's Christmas Gold were all made. Bernard and the Genie is the final attempt by the company to revive the old Christmas magic, and it was so bad all copies were thought destroyed, but a copy of this long-thought-lost <laughs> Rankin-Bass Claymation holiday special was recently discovered in a janitor's closet at Rockefeller Center. In the poorly animated film, Casey Kasem voices Bernard, the department store elf who finds a mysterious lamp, and Boris Karloff voices the strange green genie who emerges from the lamp. <laughs> Due to a pay dispute with animators, neither character ever blinks, and there are several shots where their mouths don't even begin to align with the dialogue. <laughs> and there's one sequence where the hand of the claymation animator pops into frame four times and nobody bothered to edit it out. The story, such as it is, sees Bernard being granted three wishes, with the first, Bernard, 
who is not the most motivated or imaginative individual, wishes he could be the department store Santa instead of a helper, helper elf. Then, with the second wish, he wishes he could be the real Santa, and the real Santa takes his place as a department store Santa. But when Bernard sees how much hard work, love, and empathy are required to be Santa Claus, he decides it's not for him and uses his final wish to switch places back with Santa Claus, just as Santa was about to enjoy his first Christmas Eve off ever. Wow. Okay. <laughs> That's the other one I did some real research into. All of those that I mentioned were... Oh, those, 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 those are really? Yeah, really? Uh, yeah, yeah. The Leprechaun one sounds... And, Real rough. I've seen the Leprechaun one. It was on. We had a VHS tape, like, oh. and we did it on uh, the EP. So you got like six hours, yeah. and we like recorded every Christmas special did, we could. I that didn't one know we had had that one. That was on there like after a bunch of good ones. And I remember <laughs> when I was a kid, every time we got to that one, I was like, "What in the world am I watching?" <laughs> I mean, like, you know, Santa Claus is coming to town. That one actually makes it on to you yeah. know, TV mm-hmm. every year. Yeah, not the Leprechaun's Christmas Gold. Uh, no. I will say in my research, uh, for when I placed this as being the last of theirs, Boris Karloff would have been dead, but I went ahead and put him in as the voice of the well, genie because, yeah, right. how could you not? Okay. All right, Todd, let's hear yours. Okay, so my Bernard and the genie, you have to, you have to get yourself in a different kind of mood for this film. This is, uh, think of this as like an indie European kind of slow paced, very thoughtful, very open. Okay? So here goes. Okay. Bernard lives a lonely and solitary existence, driving camels across the Sahara Desert. He is good-hearted, but incredibly poor. Then one day, he comes across a magical cave, and at the heart of that cave, he finds a magic lamp. Curious, he rubs the lamp, and a genie appears and offers Bernard three wishes. But Bernard is no dummy, and he knows all the legends about how dangerous genies can be. He also knows how valuable three wishes could be. Concerned about being tricked or otherwise misusing his wishes, Bernard decides he will never use them, and he commits to a life of never, ever mentioning that he wishes anything. The genie is now bound to Bernard, and he follows him for years, trying to convince Bernard to use the wishes. Time passes, and Bernard grows old. He and the genie become dear friends. As Bernard senses that his death is approaching, he and the genie engage in long philosophical discussions about the meaning of life and the appropriate use of the power of genies. On what the genie tells Bernard will be his last day on Earth, Bernard decides to walk into the streets and use his three wishes to do as much good for humanity as he possibly can. The end. Okay. <laughs> okay. I like that, Todd. Thank you. I'm glad you uh, you put us into the different mindset at the beginning. Yeah. Because after it's my the- Rankin Bass one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I, that, that was a necessary preparatory adjustment. It was a, certainly a change in pace for me from a Mistletoe Promise and a Fury Road to Bethlehem. <laughs> <Fury Road. laughs> now, I have, I have the, the synopsis. For Bernard and the Genie. And then I have a few things I'm going to tell you because I read a longer synopsis. Okay. That I couldn't put into. The Where's the synopsis coming from? Just um, Either IMDb or Wikipedia on this one. A genie is punished by an evil wizard by being confined to a lamp somewhere in Arabia. 2,000 years later, in England, Bernard Bottles, an art dealer who has just been sacked by his nasty and greedy boss and then discovered his girlfriend has gone off with his so-called best mate, taking almost everything from his flat with her, decides to give the lamp a rub. The next thing he knows, the genie is loose, and soon Bernard befriends him and finds the genie can give him as many wishes as he likes. 
Things start to go horribly wrong, though, when Bernard decides to wish for one of the most famous paintings in the world, and the police think he has stolen it. Wow. That's that's the end of the synopsis. Why okay. is this not a Christmas movie? It's, now, I read the longer synopsis. It seems that somewhere in the second or third act, there actually is Christmas content where the genie asks questions about Christmas and Bernard has to talk about Christmas. By the way, Bernard is played by Alan Cumming. What? And his greedy <laughs> boss is Rowan Atkinson. What? <laughs> wow. Who's the genie? I can't remember. It was not a name I recognized. It's not to say he's not well known, but... So, Mr. Bean is the boss of Nightcrawler. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> also, um, when they say things go horribly wrong, in the long synopsis, that explains that it includes a murder. Wow. From Like, Bernard accidentally kills one of the police officers investigating that stolen painting. Fortunately, they go back in time and, and rectify some of the you stuff. You thought my broadcasting Christmas one was dark. <laughs> yeah, this one's real dark. <laughs> and like, it's a dog ate a router. Like, I, I read it and was like, that's upsetting. <laughs> wow. Um, yeah. All right, so we had uh, that thing that Andrew just read. <laughs> we, <laughs> I think that's the appropriate way to describe we it. We had my Rankin-Bass, uh, weird moment of Rankin-Bass history, yes. amongst many other weird moments of okay. Rankin-Bass animated history. And we had Todd's, Todd's. A philosophical indie film, slow-paced, uh, kind of life of pie yes. <laughs> as, as Christmas film. It's going to Todd. Yeah, Todd, wow. Todd's bringing his A-game on this. He's he's definitely making a strong showing. What's the, the tally right Todd, now? Todd is in the lead with three, then Joseph's got two. Uh, the real world has managed one win. Okay. Are we on our last one? Uh, no, we've got two left. I don't know, Todd. Do you only have uh, one left? Oh, no, I, we've got point? two. No, we've got two. We've got two. <laughs> I just saw, I saw victory coming right at me. <laughs> no, we've got two left. <laughs> We've got two. Uh, we, we now have Borrowed Hearts. Who's reading first on this one? I think I'm reading first on this one. Yeah, uh, Yes, it's, a, it's Todd. Okay, this is the closest that I have to an actual um, Hallmark film. Scott Anderson is a sick, lonely miser. He lives alone. He works alone. He donates no money to charity. His family has basically disowned him. He also suffers from cardiomyopathy, or a weakening of the heart muscle. His only goal... That was my research for this. Uh, Thank <laughs> <laughs> <Make> you, Todd. <laughs> his only goal is to make money, and he has his sights set on bulldozing the local orphanage in order to build a strip mall. The orphanage is run by a beautiful and smart woman named Jill. John Goodhart... This is my attempt at uh, naming, like Joseph does. John Goodhart... <laughs> is Scott's complete opposite. His life is full of warmth and light. He is poor but happy. He lives a meager existence but gives what he can to help charitable causes. Then one fateful Christmas Eve, while on his way to volunteer at, as Santa Claus for children at, a lo- at the local orphanage, John is killed in a terrible car accident. He is, of course, an organ donor, and the miserly Scott receives John's heart in a transplant operation. As he recovers over the next year, he finds that he has somehow changed. His heart has softened. He decides he does not want to bulldoze the orphanage anymore. He falls in love with the skeptical orphanage director, Jill, and spends the following Christmas Eve volunteering as Santa for the kids there. <laughs> so, <clears throat> like, I, I, on the transformative scale, where does no longer thinking bulldozing the, an orphanage for profit <laughs> is good? <laughs> like, how far along the sliding scale of ethics have you moved? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, there are other things. There are other, there are other positive changes for him, but 
But that's the one that matters because that's where uh, the cute girl lives. That I mean, works. So. <laughs> that was it's, a... uh, it's sort of a return to me meets you've got mail is, is kind of where I'm going with this. Uh, uh, yeah, I, um, I really enjoyed your naming of that one, Todd. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right, my borrowed hearts. Uh, David and Christina have just started dating, but Christina believes her love life is cursed at the holiday season, so they decide to pretend they are not dating. <laughs> David thinks... <laughs> This just means that they aren't going to go to any Christmas parties together, but Christina is so certain that any romantic entanglement during the Christmas season will doom their relationship that she insists they pretend they are only acquaintances for the entire month of December. And she makes David promise that he'll act as though he's completely unattached until Christmas passes. All is going well until at work, Beverly asks David if he will go to a Christmas party with her. Oh, Beverly. He's hesitant to say yes. Uh, but she asks, are you seeing anyone? And he remembers his promise. And he says, no, I'm not. I'd be happy to go. The next day, Christina is asked out to a Christmas party by Matt. And after a moment, she agrees, confident that this is saving her relationship with David. Of course, they're all going to the same Christmas party. And David and Christina <laughs> see each other across the room, each with another date. And in a fit of jealousy slash trying to inspire jealousy, they each act more flirtatious with their respective dates. Uh, This leads to second dates for both of them. And though David finds himself more attracted to Beverly uh, than he was to, I've lost track of names, to Christina. uh, (laughs) And and Christina actually finds herself really enjoying her time with Matt, even though she's dating someone during the holidays. Uh, This goes on until the day after Christmas when David and Christina have a heart to heart and each one is prepared to break the other's heart. Only they discover that they're each now in a happy relationship. In a final twist, on New Year's Eve, when they are at the same party, they discover that Beverly and Matt are brother and sister. What? So the ones they're dating are siblings. So they each started dating uh, a okay. set of siblings. Yeah. Yeah. I did not like see any- that twist coming. Yeah. I like that story. Okay. So, yeah, I, how many Christmases, or how many how many movies have the, like, oh, we have to pretend, like, the proposal with, the, yeah. Say, yeah, yeah, how many, we have to pretend we're together to find, and then we find true love. I wanted to invert that. Or, or Mistletoe Promise. I like promise. that. Or Mistletoe Promise. Yeah, well, that was a pretending to be together. It was. That, it was. Oh, in the original. Oh, the, the real one. Right. Yes, I was thinking of mine. I'm like, I didn't do that in mine, did I? <laughs> no, in the real one. In the real one, they had that, right? Uh, mine right. was about no, pirates. I like this, where they... <laughs> um... But no, I like pre- having to pretend that they aren't together. Yeah. That's that's a nice work. Yeah. Subverting a, a cliche. Thank you. The real borrowed hearts. Kathleen is a hardworking single mother who's saving to buy a house for herself and her daughter, Zoe. Sam is a businessman who has to pretend he has a family in order to close a deal <laughs> with the mysterious <laughs> Javier Del Campo. What? Sam owns the company that Kathleen works for. And as her boss, he manages to convince her to help him out. But Javier Del Campo... So inappropriate, by the way. (laughs) As a boss, subordinate relationship. (laughs) But Javier Del Campo is more than he seems. And it just might be Zoe who's making the real deal to get a new home for herself, her mother, and Sam. Okay, so I subverted... (laughs) The trope that, that happens that, that, in... is, that is actually happening here, <laughs> where a, a boss hires one of his actual employees. I think I think maybe she had lost her job, 
Okay. Before he hired her to do this. Wildly inappropriate. <laughs> she is an actual um, employee to say, hey, pretend to be my family. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Uh, she and her daughter <laughs> are hired to pretend to be okay. her family. I'm not sure that the daughter actually gets a paycheck, but... Um, <laughs> Uh, yeah, that's the real borrowed hearts. Okay, uh, so <clears throat> yeah, Todd's was <laughs> uh, reset. heart transplant. Oh right, the, the, the good orphanage. Heart. Oh yeah, the, the man yeah, who don't bulldoze, bulldoze the orphanage. The, <laughs> don't bulldoze the orphanage. Uh, Joseph was pretending they're not dating. Pretending they're not dating, dating. Finding true love by not dating. Yes, and the real one is pretending uh, to date to find true love. <laughs> yes, uh, just for the novelty. I'm going with Joseph. I needed that for, uh, for, for you know pretending I'm to have not a chance. date. I, I had to win that one, so that, we are tied up going into the final oh round. Man. That, that novelty has got it for you. <laughs> All right, oh, just, just so you know, the real world can't win this this year. All right, so uh, Andrew, what is our <laughs> final title? Uh, Chasing Christmas. All right, Chasing Christmas. This. Um, I'm imagining this as like, uh, you know, every year one of the movie studios tries to put out what's going to be a new Christmas classic and very few of them actually stick like elf stuck, but Christmas with the cranks do not. This is one of those attempts chasing Christmas. Henri Renard is a wealthy businessman, a charitable philanthropist, and one of the kindest people to walk the earth. Or is he? Henri (laughs) has always been a charmer. He's also always been a thief. Though he has oh, never no. once been caught as an infant, he stole the other kid's rattles and pacifiers. As a child, he stole his classmates' homework and lunch money. As a college student, he stole every computer from the entire campus. And as an adult, <laughs> oh, wow. he, is the world's, he is the world's premier gentleman thief. Suave, <laughs> charming, and filthy rich. Henri has been awarded Citizen of the Year uh, awards from cities that he has never visited. He's been named Time Magazine's Person of the Year twice in the same year. And Henri <laughs> is supremely proud that he has been able to fool everyone in the entire world. Everyone but one. Everyone but Santa. Henri <laughs> Reynard has been on Santa's naughty list since he stole a blankie from the kid in the bassinet next to him in the hospital. And as such, he's never received a gift from the big man. This year, Henri plans his biggest heist of all. He will steal Santa's sleigh full of gifts if he has to follow old St. Nick across every rooftop in Paris. You've wow. cast this, haven't you? I sure have. <laughs> Henri, who, who you got? Liam Neeson. I was going to say, it's Liam Neeson, isn't it? It sure is. Wow. Santa Claus. I don't know how I knew it was him, but... Santa Claus is Tom Hanks. Oh. And Mrs. Claus, she, she factors in this. Meryl Streep. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Okay. All right, Todd. Um, now I feel yeah. like you need you need like a like a lower level, like some sort of sidekick, some sort of somewhat like uh, hey, like, a, like a bumbling let's not cop. Work, no, we or, can't work. Sorry, we can't no, workshop this right we now. Hear, we gotta okay, hear Todd okay, before sorry, we. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Todd, this is what, for the win, Todd. What what is your chasing Christmas? Okay. Despite his his festive name, Holly Christmas has been a holy terror his entire life. A childhood of bullying led to seamlessly to an adolescence of petty crime, which led to an adulthood of theft and aggression, which led to prison. That's where Holly finds himself on Christmas Eve at the beginning of this film. But Holly, Christmas, has other plans. And he takes advantage of holiday distractions at the prison to make his break. The story continues as the indefatigable... <laughs> It's <laughs> a hard word to say. It's an easy word, word to write and to read in your head. But it's really not hard easy to write. 
Indefatigable. <laughs> Prison Warden. Ranko Darkhand chases the desperate Holly through the deep woods of rural Vermont. Thankfully for Holly, the weather has been unseasonably warm, but as the evening turns into night, he notices a distinct chill in the air, and he realizes he must find shelter soon. He sees a light in the distance and comes across a weathered stable where an old man sits on a bale of hay staring out into the night. Holly watches as the man feeds a carrot to his horse, pats it on the head, and whispers, don't worry, Snowflake. Tonight is our night. Moved by the gentle kindness of this one old man, Holly steps into the light and asks if he can warm himself by the old man's fire. As they sit and talk, Holly realizes the error of his ways and silently commits to living a better life. Snow begins to fall just as Darkhand is approaching the stable, but the old man has invited Holly on a ride in his sleigh, and Holly makes his getaway through town behind the Columbia Inn, where some sort of party is going on and everyone is singing, I'm dreaming of a white Christmas. Darkhand, touched by the unmistakable Christmas spirit, decides to let this fish go. He hails a cab. The driver seems to be in complete shock and gets a ride back to the prison. The end. Shameless, Todd. <laughs> Not once, but twice. That one. That one's shameless. Okay. <laughs> I don't. Know. So, but it's pretty uh, good, uh, right? Before uh, before we get to the real um, chasing Christmas, I uh, on Facebook as I was writing these, I said Hallmark one year because they released like what a dozen of these movies. They do the full countdown to Christmas, so I don't know. I think it was like sixteen new films this year. So they need to um, have each film be its own story but maybe with like in the background you see the characters from another film like happening and then on christmas eve all the characters come together to save santa claus uh and and filters that and todd i think you're starting to build an interconnected universe in your fake christmas movies i just love that now every year when i watch white christmas and i see that (laughs) sleigh go behind i think there's holly christmas he's hiding in the seat (laughs) making his getaway and it's snowflake pulling the sleigh and it's snowflake pulling the sleigh Will you be telling your children this story? I read it to them tonight already. Oh, okay. They thought it, they so, thought it was pretty great. <laughs> so they get a they get to build like yeah. There's Holly. There he goes. Yeah, I think we might need to really write our oh. um, our side story to <laughs> to White Christmas. No, it's pretty nice. Okay. Well, I've fleshed out a couple of the characters for us. So yeah, thank you. the The real plot to Chasing Christmas, which I had to retrieve from Amazon. <laughs> All right. A clever twist on the classic story A Christmas Carol, Chasing Christmas finds its Scrooge in the bitter Jack Cameron, played by Tom Arnold. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Whose wife cheated on him during their daughter's performance in a Christmas pageant, and now he does mean things like throw Christmas decorations in the street. Naturally... Okay, I just want to (laughs) say... He's allowed to be a little bit around that one. That is a doozy of a life event. (laughs) Yes. Naturally, throwing become... Christmas decorations into the street. <laughs> Wait, you guys aren't ready for this. Naturally, he becomes the target for the Bureau of Yuletide Affairs, who send the ghost of Christmas past to take Cameron on a tour of his previous holidays. But when the ghost has a personal meltdown and abandons Cameron <laughs> in 1965, <laughs> the lovely ghost of Christmas present has to rescue the sourpuss, only to find that romantic sparks arise twixt ghost and man. Wow. <laughs> now, in addition, 
to the synopsis, <laughs> there was a bit of a review attached to this Amazon. <laughs> okay, uh, yeah, what's the Amazon review? What? No, this is part of the same, you know, essay. Oh, in the same. Okay. Yeah, someone wrote that synopsis plus this. Chasing Christmas won't win any awards, but it's a modest, enjoyable movie with a theme everyone can agree on. Life must be embraced to be fully lived. Tom, on- Tom Arnold isn't the most charismatic actor, but he has his talents. Ugh. And the and the story clips along at a sprightly pace. <laughs> I, that sounds like one of the plots we could have made up, Todd. <laughs> yeah, it does. Absurd efforts. It sounds uh, like one of your more absurd. Yeah, well, Todd was reaching for more of the absurd ones this this yeah. round. So uh, I, I I could very easily you know see one of you hitting that. Something along those lines. Yeah, I didn't see the romance coming. That was a surprise. Yeah. The ghost of Christmas present. Uh, finding him in the 1960s and, ha- and sparking a romance then. Yes. Yeah. Well, if you're going to have a romance with a ghost, the 60s would have been, been the time to do it. <laughs> Even if you're, you know, born in the 2000s, you know, alive in the yeah, 2000s. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, um, so you guys are tied right now. Remind me what your two options are and let me see if it, it's All better right. than... So Todd uh, pitched another behind the scenes of White Christmas story of right. the escaped convict. Mm-hmm. I pitched Henri Reynard. Oh! Played by Liam, Liam Neeson. Neeson. Oh. <laughs> it's, uh, it, it, it's Henri Reynard. <laughs> now, Todd, just real quick, in our, uh, in our summaries, did you get a little, like, we both did this weird list of our main characters <laughs> being bad people <laughs> advancing through their life. Yes, uh, I was. I was kind of shocked that yours was ex- almost ex- your description of Henri Renard was almost exactly the same. A gentleman thief, as my description of uh, of Holly Christmas, except Holly Christmas got nabbed and thrown in the yeah my, the slammer in the who's last, last bit of research that I actually did for making up these absurd Christmas stories. Reynard is French for fox. <laughs> that was the, <laughs> that was the extent of it. That was the extent of it. Way to go. I, I wanted a French name that meant something um, kind of gentleman thiefly. So uh, that makes Joseph the winner. Uh, four, four to three. Four to three. With, with one going to the actual Hallmark film uh, broadcasting Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> that wasn't my strongest effort. Um, too dark. Too dark. Now, I, I do real quick just want to workshop. Uh, Joseph's chasing Christmas just a smidge because I feel like you need like a sidekick like a bumbling cop or something or oh, yeah or, or a Javert character the what you know the guy that is suspicious everyone yes. trusts this figure you just need you know someone who's who's not in there a lot but a few cutaways to seeing this guy chasing him and also I did cast Meryl Streep as Mrs. Claus and Mrs. Claus did not appear in my summary so I need to figure out. Mm. <laughs> but who would, who would you who would you put in as as the cop chasing him down? I, I Who's the in, in this instance, Mrs. Claus is riding in the sleigh with Santa. That was how I was imagining she was involved. Wait, yeah, I've got it. Meryl Streep is the person chasing him down, and Mrs. Claus. She could do it. She reveals that she is Mrs. Claus. Wait, so okay, she's been Mrs. Claus the whole time. All right, I'm not following. <laughs> so she's chasing down. She's trying to bring him to justice. Yes. But on Christmas Eve, she's Mrs. Claus. So 364 days of the year, Mrs. Claus is a French policewoman. Is that what you're telling me? Or maybe Interpol? We're going to elevate her beyond from just... I like that. <laughs> International. She helps keep things clear for Santa. Oh, yeah. So, because Santa Claus is focused on... And so she's always talking about, I need to, I need to go Santa home Claus to my Santa Claus rewards the nice people. 
But Mrs. Claus punishes the naughty. Is helping to track down. <laughs> and so she knows that he's on Santa's list. Yeah, she knows so, all these so, secrets. Which, and, She's and, onto him. As Interpol, whenever they list a sub- suspect, she just checks the list. No, that's not him. This, <laughs> yes. She's, she's, she's on the nice list. She's on the nice list. This clearly isn't the criminal we're looking for. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and, it, and it's uncanny how she gets this information until the last scene where they see, where you see her in the sleigh looking down on... Henri Renard. She says, mm-mm-mm. <laughs> not today. <laughs> You're not getting here. <laughs> You're not catching the sleigh. Something like that. I, I really enjoy this. Uh, like, I feel like this is now a separate movie. Like, Mrs. Claus <laughs> using the, the naughty and nice list to solve crime. <laughs> I know. We did a good one there. I was like, wait a second. This isn't bad. <laughs> oh, but now we're getting into the into the standard uh, trope of... of not pure police procedurals, but the modified police procedurals where there's a character that comes in with special knowledge and they, you know, mentalist or, uh, yeah, it's Sherlock Holmes or Sherlock yeah, Holmes. Yeah, they're Sherlocking the thing. Elementary. Yeah. yeah. And so in her case, it's just the naughty and niceless. <laughs> okay. Well, anyway. <clears throat> I'll just sit back and let you guys continue. <laughs> <laughs> you, that you was delightful. To that one? <laughs> I, have nothing, I have nothing to add to that, but it, it was delightful. But if it's starring Meryl Streep, Yes, it's gonna be good. That's it. That's an elf that catches really, on, becomes a classic. That was the last uh, yeah. arrow in my quiver to try and get a point. It was fake casting Meryl Streep into my fake movie. <laughs> 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 I thought this will get me a point. Uh, okay, so yeah, Joseph's the uh, the victor. No, I, I do want to just say I love Todd's uh, backgrounds of White Christmas, but. I'm not going to be able to stop thinking about the anime immortal desert princess <laughs> or desert the queen of the desert thieves. What was it? <laughs> queen of the sand thieves. Desert queen pirates. of the desert of the pirates. De- desert pirates. <sighs> that that's uh, like a plot concept that's going to linger. <laughs> that's and a that good one, one didn't even win. Well, nor one. did nor did the pirates. Uh, I, I had two pirate Christmas stories, and neither of them won. It doesn't mean they're not good. No, also, it might mean there's a lesson in there about uh, Christmas pirates, Todd. <laughs> 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 you might have got a bridge too far, twice. But it doesn't mean they're not good. It doesn't mean you shouldn't pitch those as films. Well, listeners, if... <laughs> <laughs> Next no, time think... you're in an elevator with an executive. <laughs> yeah, because that opportunity arises pretty regularly to pitch these. Well, just tell, just tell, it's like, I've got this podcast. There's four episodes you need to listen to. <laughs> <laughs> so listeners, you can let us know which, if any of these were your favorites, uh, anything that you particularly enjoyed, or if you want to help workshop any of our plots, you can do so by leaving a comment at facebook.com slash protagonist podcast. That is where the best discussion uh, for, for our little podcast happens. And we appreciate all the comments and feedback that we received there. Okay, that wraps up this episode. Thanks for joining us. Please subscribe to the Protagonist Podcast in iTunes, and please leave us a review there. It really helps us out. If you're a new listener, just a note about our back catalog. We switched up our format a bit at episode 13, so our first dozen episodes are a bit meandering in terms of discussion and length. But if you like our discussion uh, tonight, we recommend episodes 98, 78, and 50, in which we also make up fake plots. Links to things we've talked about in this episode are at protagonistpodcast.com. It's also where you can find a list of all of our shows. You can suggest stories or characters for us to discuss or give us any comments or corrections by emailing feedback at protagonistpodcast.com. We are also on Twitter at protagonistpod, at Todd K. Mack, and at Jay Dorowski. Our producer, Andrew, is at Andrew underscore Dorowski, and our Facebook fan page is facebook.com slash protagonistpodcast. We have really good conversations there with our listeners and would love for you to say hello anytime. 
If you would like to support the show financially, there are a few different ways you can do that. To buy a topic for us to discuss or show your appreciation with a monetary donation, you can click the support link on our homepage or go to patreon.com slash protagonist. All supporters on Patreon receive access to our special quick casts, which are shorter episodes in which we break down newly released films and trailers. You can also go to protagonistpodcast.com slash Amazon to make all of your Amazon purchases. Just a reminder, it looks exactly like regular Amazon and costs you nothing more, but we get a small kickback from your purchases. Finally, don't forget to sign up for a 30-day free trial of audible.com by going to audibletrial.com slash protagonist. Thanks again for listening, and we'll be back next week to discuss another great character in a great story. So long. So long. Their interview with Vixen will shed light. I'm sorry. I thought I was good. I had to get that in. <laughs> All right, oh, I promised myself I wasn't going <clears> to. <throat> okay. We ne- <laughs> We're going to need a clean take. Yeah, on you need to start that paragraph over. <laughs> okay. Hang on a second. I think I'm mostly laughing because I'm just remembering last year. <laughs> I just, right when you said Vixen, I definitely flashed back to last year. I don't know. I can't say Vixen's name without just <laughs> coming apart. But well, I know why. It's because of our Christmas special last year. <laughs>